I'd like to present to you Minister John Scott this morning. He is going to be sharing with you from the Word of God. Just got this mic on. Thank you. Perfect. Awesome. So, yeah, that was a great intro. I don't think I could top that. That was great. Thank you for uh, <laughs> setting that up for me. <laughs> but, no, I'm really excited. Um, as, as we were approaching this uh, Christmas season, me and Pastor Tom kind of got together and we thought, you know, what, what would be a good, you know, series to bring to everyone? What would be something, you know, a little, a little different take on, on, you know, rather than just your regular Christmas series, a little different take that we can go about. And we came up with um, the Awkward Family Christmas. And this has just been awesome, just uh, really, you know, rolling up my sleeves, digging into all this. And I'm learning so much about all this as I'm doing it, which has just been, it's great for me. And I know um, that God is really going to use this to impact you all um, this morning as well. Um, as Tom talked, uh, as Tom just said, we last week we talked about Rahab, a prostitute, Jesus' great, great, great grandmother. And this week, um, I we have someone a little different. Like he was saying, like awkward doesn't always mean that you're doing the wrong thing. It's just sometimes things just don't go as you plan, right? So before we get into our um, our character this week, I just have one question for you. Have you ever had something planned and it just falls completely flat on its face? Yeah. Have you ever just, you know, said, all right, this is how I'm going to do it. You write everything out. Maybe you're a big planner. You're not like a spontaneous person. You have to have everything, all your ducks in a row. You plan it out and you show up and it just totally falls flat on its face. does not happen the way that you planned it. I've been there before too. Trish, can you uh, wave your hand at everyone? For those of you who don't know, I am a happily engaged man. That is my fiance Trish. And um, yeah, yeah, you can definitely give it up for that. <laughs> Getting married in May this next coming year, so it's coming up quick, but yeah, we're excited. Um, but I cleared this with her before, so um, I can share the story. I'm, I'm learning, slowly but surely I'm learning. <laughs> um, but Trish's engagement ring is really special. Um, not just because, you know, it signifies the love that we have for each other and all that romantic stuff, but um, two years ago, Trish's grandmother passed away, and it, and it really hurt her, um, really, really hit her hard. And um, when her grandmother passed, um, the, her grandfather still had the original engagement ring that he got her when he proposed to her. So when her grandmother passed, he left it to Trish's mom. And um, it was always like Trish's dream to have some part of that original engagement ring incorporated with, with the ring that she would have one day. So I, I got wind of that. You know, she, she kind of made it known, so... Um, <laughs> as, as women have a tendency to do, <laughs> it helps us out. It helps us out. No, it's good. <laughs> but, um, so one day we go out to, um, to Pennsylvania where Trish is originally from and we're going to spend the day with her family. And so we're hanging out at her house. Trish steps out for a while from the house. So it's just me and her dad, you know, hanging out, watching TV together. I think we were watching like women's softball or something on ESPN. It was like really like random. <laughs> and so we're just hanging out watching TV, and I'm like, I went in with the idea, like, this is going to be the day that I ask her dad if I can, like, have his blessing to marry Trish and everything, so this is a huge day. For him, I mean, we're just watching college softball, but to me, this was like, I'm about to ask you if I can marry your daughter, so I was like, how do you make the transition from regular, oh, yeah, the weather's pretty great today, to, oh, by the way, um, I'm thinking about marrying your daughter, is that, <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> 
So, you know, we're talking, we're talking, and I'm like, all right, you know what? You just got to go big or go home. This is it. Like, this is the time. I just did it. I laid it all out there. I'm like, listen, really love your daughter. She's great. Um, do you think it would be okay if I asked her to marry me? He pauses, looks at me. He says, sure. He says, good luck. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever met Trisha's dad, he's a funny guy. But, uh, <laughs> but so I'm like, okay, great. Hard part number one is done. You know, her dad said yes. Now I'm like, okay, hopefully Trish says yes too. So we go back home, you know, but before we leave back to New Jersey, Trisha's mom gives me her, her grandma's ring. And I'm like, okay. So I have it in my pocket. I'm like freaking out. I'm just like every five seconds, I'm like touching my pocket just to make sure it's there because <laughs> I don't want to lose it. So we drive all the way back to New Jersey. We get back to Trisha's apartment. And uh, I'm like, I really don't trust myself with this thing in my pocket. So I have to hide it somewhere. Right? So Trish goes into the bathroom. I go, I run into her room, like open up a drawer that I had some of my clothes in at the time. I, I hide it under the clothes. And I'm like, all right, like at least it's not on me anymore. That's good. So the day goes on, and I think Trish was, like, folding, like, one of my shirts or something, and she puts it in the drawer, opens the drawer, she finds a ring box. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. You're thinking, why did you put it in there? Why didn't you just take it home with you? I know. I, hindsight's twenty twenty, But, um, so she opens the ring box, sees that it's her grandma's ring, shuts it. She's like, oh, my gosh, what did I just see? So she puts it back in, slams it shut. We, you know, the day goes on. I go back home. The next night, we're, we're hanging out. We're just talking. And then she hits me with this. John, I have to talk to you about something. And I know a lot of you guys have been there. It's the worst way to start a conversation. I have to talk to you about something. So I'm like, okay, what's up? What, what happened? She's like, I found my grandma's ring. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're, she was like freaking out. She thought she ruined the surprise. She was crying. She felt terrible. And I felt terrible because it shouldn't have been there in the first place. <laughs> so I felt like it was kind of my fault too. So, you know, we're, we're going, we're comforting each other. We, we, as we like stop crying and everything, we, we just, I kind of come with it. And the only thing I could think to say is, well, yeah, that's going to happen eventually. So you can start thinking about your answer now. I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> you, have, you have time to think about it. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So luckily, uh, I was lucky enough to have her say yes. She was still surprised when I asked her. So it all worked out. <laughs> but the moral of the story is always fold your own shirts and put it back. No, just the moral of the story is that life doesn't work out the way that we always want to sometimes, right? So what happens then? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. What happens when you have your plans, your dreams of a perfect proposal, perfect house, perfect family, kids, spouse, whatever it is, job, and they all fall flat on their face? When things get a little bit awkward in your life. We're going to explore that a little this morning by examining this week's awkward family member. Can I get a drum roll, please? Yeah, you guys are getting good at that. That's good. <laughs> this week's member is Ruth. Ruth is a woman who lost everything, lost everything. Ruth's plan for her life definitely took unexpected twists and turns. And I'm sure if there was a way for her to see into her own future and see the hard times that were ahead of her, she would have turned around and went the opposite way. The Bible doesn't give us much information on her biological family, but it does give us one very telling detail about her life. She was a widow. That is definitely a loaded word that hits like a ton of bricks. That word implies that, you know, she had a husband. She had a plan. She had a life, dreams all laid out before her. 
that is taken away by the sting of death. But how many of you know that death never has the last word when Jesus is involved? Death never has the last word when Jesus is involved. Today we'll see that Romans chapter 8, 28, the fact that God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes come to life. So if you have your Bibles on you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 1 and uh, going through the majority of this chapter together this morning. And this morning I'd like to talk to you about redemption for the holidays, or restoration for the holidays, excuse me, restoration for the holidays. So are you all there with me? Ruth chapter 1. Can I get a big risen king church? Amen. Yes. Amen. Awesome. Starting in verse 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Sounds good, right? Elimelech, but I'm going to go ahead and just call him Eli for the sake of my tongue. And yes, <laughs> is that okay with you guys? I'm going to call him Eli. Eli, his wife Naomi, and his two sons Malon and Kilian moved to Moab, a foreign land, to escape the famine that is crippling Israel. So they had a plan. They dreamed of a better life in a different land to escape this famine. On paper, that sounds great, right? It sounds like they had it all together. But then life happens. Verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Ouch. So we don't exactly get a time frame or a cause of death here, but either way you cut it, Naomi's husband passes away in this land of Moab. Naomi is left without a husband, and her kids are left without a father. They continue living out in this land, and eventually Naomi's kids find wives in Moab. Verse 4 says, they are married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other named Ruth. <laughs> After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malin and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. So not only does Naomi lose her husband in Moab... Ten years later, not long after they're married, she loses both of her sons, too. And I'm sure this was not in Naomi's plans for her life, right? I'm sure this was not the way she saw it all visioned out when they went out to Moab together, that she would lose both her husband and both of her kids. But verse 6 says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and and, uh, Ruth, prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So the famine is over now in Israel, and Naomi decides to head back home to cut her losses and leave this land of Moab that had taken so much from her. Almost as if she had been going back and forth in her mind, arguing with herself, feeling guilty for making her daughters-in-law come with her to a land that was not their own. Naomi turns to them and says this in verse 8. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. So Ruth and Orpah are both putting up a fight. They don't want to leave Naomi alone. They want to go with her back to Israel. But Naomi, verse 11, turns to them and says this, 
Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord has turned against me. So the law of Moses said that if a man dies, his brother or the closest related relative has to marry his wife. Naomi had no other sons. If Orpah and Ruth had stayed with her, it would be a dead-end street. It's pretty much what she was saying. There was no future there. There's no hope there. Naomi was too old to have another son. And even if she did, by some miracle, get pregnant at that very moment, she's like, are you going to wait for these kids to grow up that they'll be old enough for you to marry? So verse 14 says, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Everyone say, Ruth clung to her. Orpah realized the hopelessness of the situation and cut her losses. She returned back to Moab. She kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went, went back to live for the rest of her life in her land. But what did Ruth do? She clung to Naomi. She refused to let her go. She refused to abandon her. She chose to go with her to Israel. Now, before you get down on Orpah for choosing to go back home, think about the situation for a minute, right? On paper, Naomi is absolutely right. There is no future for them as Naomi's daughters-in-law. There's no chance for remarriage. There's no restart button for their life. There's no hope there. It's a dead-end street. So I think most people would have made that choice, right? Naomi begs Ruth to do the same thing, right? She says, look, your sister-in-law is going back. She's smart. Listen to her. Do the same thing. Follow her example. There's nothing for you here. But Ruth is as stubborn as she is faithful. Look at her reply to Naomi in verse 16. It says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Like some of us, Naomi is so absorbed in her circumstances that she can't see that even now God is moving. Even now, at that moment, God was beginning to move and bring restoration, bring redemption to her life. Have you ever been there before, so absorbed in your own circumstances, the tragedy in your life? Naomi was so convinced that God was against her and so focused on the grief and tragedy that plagued her life that she could not see that her breakthrough was already starting to show itself. I've got nothing against grief. I think it's definitely a healthy process. People need to go through it. People process it differently. But we can't camp out there for the rest of our lives. You can't stay in that place of grief forever. We're called for so much more than that. We can't allow ourselves to be so caught up in our brokenness that we miss out on our restoration. We can't allow ourselves to be so caught up in our brokenness, in our hurt, that we miss out on our restoration. It was God who broke the famine and gave Israel food, enabling Naomi to leave Moab and go back home to Israel. It was God who gave Ruth to her, a faithful and loving support system when everyone else had left her. So even in that moment when everything seemed terrible, when she lost her husband, she lost both of her sons, she was losing her daughters-in-law, she felt completely abandoned. Even in that moment, God was working for her good. 
And he's doing the same thing for you this morning. When you feel like you're absolutely alone, feel like you're absolutely abandoned, like there's nothing you can do, there's nowhere you can go, God is working for your restoration. He's working for your redemption because he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So if you're in a place of desperation and hardship, stop looking at your circumstances and start looking at the one who is already working on your behalf to change them. There are things that are happening right under your nose that you might be too preoccupied to notice. There are breakthroughs waiting to happen just around the corner that you'll miss up if you give up, if, that you'll miss out on if you give up right now. Set your mind on things above, not what's going on right in front of you. Set your mind on the things of God, on the things of his kingdom, and not what's going on in front of you. So Naomi and Ruth make it back to Israel. These next couple of verses cover only a 24-hour period in their lives, but after this day, they will never be the same. This is when God starts the redemption process, the restoration process. And we get a little hint of what God has in store in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Everyone say Boaz. Yeah. If there are any single ladies out there today, I have one word of advice for you. Get you a man like Boaz. Get you a Boaz. And guys, I have one word of advice for you as well. Be a Boaz. Boaz is a good guy. As this chapter goes on, we'll, we'll learn that Boaz was a man whose life was saturated by the things of God. Boaz was wealthy and his values were governed by God's word. So he was rich and he loved Jesus. It's a good pick, Ruth. She did good, I have to say. <laughs> we see his love for God and how he treats the poor people that work on his land. But the most important detail about Boaz is something that to us in America in 2017 doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? It's kind of, it's, we're just in a totally different mindset here. But Boaz was related to Ruth's father-in-law, Eli. Keep that detail in mind because we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But verse 3 tells us that Ruth goes out to glean behind the harvesters in the field, right? To glean was pretty much that she was going to pick up any grain that was left behind by the harvester. So she was pretty much just picking up the leftovers, whatever the workers left behind. So she had no plan about which field she would work in. She just finds one, rolls up her sleeves, and starts gleaning. But what on the surface appears to her to be just a wild coincidence is actually God working to bring restoration to her life. Ruth just happens to find herself in the field of this man, Boaz. God was behind this. Luck has nothing to do with it because God restores and God honors faithfulness. God restores and God honors faithfulness. It was true for Ruth and it's true for you this morning as well. So Boaz sees Ruth gleaning, working in his fields with the poor, and it was love at first sight. He goes out of his way to show her favor, right? Giving, her, giving secret instructions to his workers to drop some extra grain for her, feeding her a huge lunch, and loading her down with grain at the end of the day to take back home to Naomi. So when Ruth goes home to Naomi and tells her everything that happened, everything begins to click, right? And when Naomi hears this guy's name is Boaz, everything changes. It's like a light just goes on in her head. Look at what she says in verse 20, chapter 2. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So Ruth continues to work in Boaz's fields until the harvest is over. It was then that Naomi, newborn in her hope for the Lord, comes up with a risky strategy to make a husband out of Boaz. So remember that detail I told you to keep in mind? 
This is it. Naomi is playing matchmaker now, right? She says this guy is a relative, so, and she knows that the Mosaic law had a provision to preserve the family name. So if a husband died and there was no son to keep the family name alive, the nearest relative was obliged to marry the widow. That, that's what the law of Moses said. So Naomi tells herself to you know, f- you know, fix yourself up, dress nicely, get your hair done, everything, put your best perfume on, and go to the threshing floor of Boaz. So the men in this time would remain with the grain overnight. So Naomi told Ruth, watch where Boaz lays down to sleep, but don't let him see you. After he's asleep, sneak up, uncover his feet, and then lie down. So I've been out of the dating game for a little bit now. Um, so I don't really, I don't know. I don't think this is, like, the strategy that I would use if I was trying to, like, flirt with someone. <laughs> Yo, uncover those feet. <laughs> but, no, this, either way, this is um, what Naomi told Ruth to do, and she does it, and... Um, So when Boaz turns over in the middle of the night, he wakes up. He discovers this woman lying at his feet, and he wants to know who she is. Totally understandable. I would want to know the same thing. What are you doing by my feet? (laughs) Ruth identifies herself and then says in chapter 3, verse 9, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This was Ruth's subtle way of making a marriage proposal. What she really meant by that was, there's a family link in the Mosaic law that you're obligated to. I want you to know that if you would have me as your wife, I will agree. That's pretty much what she was saying there. So Boaz agrees to marry her, but there's still one little problem. He knows of a man who's actually a closer relative than he is. So the next morning, Boaz presents this whole situation to him, and the man gives Boaz his sandal, a symbolic way of saying that the transfer of right was accomplished. I don't know what it is with these people and feet, but either way, that's, that's how they did business back then, and it worked out. <laughs> After that deal, Roat, or, excuse me, Ruth, a, f- a foreigner from a condemned country, was brought into covenant relationship with God. During one of the darkest times in Israel's history, the time when the judges ruled, Ruth gives birth to a boy named Obed, who would later father a son named Jesse, who would go on to father a son named David, the king who would bring Israel back to God, an ancestor of the hope of the world, Jesus. I'd like to ask our worship team to come forward this morning. A lady once showed a man named Ruskin a costly handkerchief on which a blot of ink had dropped. The handkerchief, she complained, was ruined. There was nothing left to do but throw it away. Ruskin said nothing, but took the handkerchief away with him. Shortly afterwards, the lady received it back, but so changed that she could hardly believe that it was the original handkerchief. Using the blot as the basis, he had worked around it a beautiful and artistic design, changing what was valueless and ruined into a thing of beauty and joy. And this is exactly how God restores our lives and broken, awkward families. Through his grace and mercy, he takes our sin, our imperfections, and molds them into things of beauty and joy. There's no stain too big for God to restore. There's no family so far gone that you can't find restoration in Jesus. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
you're never too far gone. You're never so, you, you can never do anything so bad that God can't forgive you, that God can't restore you. And in fact, he will use the very thing in your life that you are most ashamed of, the thing that totally, that you think would totally exclude you from being used by God. He will use that very thing for your good, for his purposes. So let's worship together this morning with that in mind.